What's up, guys? My name is Adam McRoberts, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. I've got a good one for you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Marvin Sandoval definitely represents everything we are all about here on the Do Big Things Podcast. First of all, he's a lifelong resident of Leadville, Colorado. And one year, he just decided to jump into the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Before long, he was doing the entire Leadman race series year after year. And if you know anything about the Leadman, that means he had to train himself to run 100 miles. And he wasn't really a runner to begin with. So always, always cool to hear about that stuff. Uh, fast forward. And at this point in time, he's, he's dipping his toes into the 200 mile distance. And just this last summer, he even completed the coveted Nolan's 14. Marvin has just got a level of tenacity and grit that's unparalleled. And I think it goes back to his wrestling days. You know, I tried asking him about it and, uh, you know, he's a humble dude, but he is coming up in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. We offer support for your ultra marathon in the way of crewing or pacing. We also offer personalized coaching and customized training plans. We can help you get to the start of your big things, or we can help you get to the finish. We can coach you up, or we can crew you in. Whatever your big things are, we want to help. Look us up big-things-crewing.com. All right, Marvin, thank you so much for joining me on the Do Big Things podcast. Uh, I know you're a friend of uh, Brian Pacentes, and uh, he, uh, he said you'd be a great guest. He said you've done some big things, so I can't wait to hear all about them, man. Um, how long? <laughs> How long have you lived in Leadville? Uh, I'm a lifer. I was born and raised just, uh, there was no kidding. a stint of four years where I went off to college on a wrestling scholarship. And, uh, ah. but as soon as I graduated, came back and got a teaching job right away. So ah, just what, been up here in Leadville all my life. Wow. Awesome. What do you teach? Uh, I'm not currently a teacher now, but I did go to school for physical education. So I was okay. a PE and health teacher. Cool for quite a few years, but had to throw in the towel and try something different. Oh, why? What happened? Uh, just teaching's tough. That's about all I can say. I mean, it was definitely a dream job for many years and then it just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of tough. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Especially living in Leadville. Yeah. Schools are small. Well, dude, I'm jealous. Uh, (laughs) Leadville is one of my favorite towns. Um, So years and years ago, um, I lived in Wisconsin and, uh, I eventually wanted to like, I was at this, I don't know if it was like a midlife crisis. It was at this breaking point in my life. And I knew I wanted to go out and do something. And I was tossing around ideas like go hike, hike the Appalachian trail, the PCT. And, uh, I decided on coming out to Colorado and hiking all the 14ers. And, you know, as a Wisconsin guy, that's a pretty big endeavor. And at the time I wasn't really even a runner. I was, wasn't really even a hiker either, but I decided I was going to do this thing and didn't know anything about Leadville. So as I'm out here hiking all, all the different peaks, I sort of like discover, I felt like I discovered Leadville, like found this little town. I'm like, man, this place is just so cool. 
and I just loved everything about it. And uh, I just kept coming back to it while I was out here for that two months. You know, I'd go hike a couple peaks and I'd come back to Leadville and go hike a couple more and come back to Leadville. And it was just like my favorite place. And of course, now I've done the Leadville 100 a couple times. And I took a look at your ultra sign up. It looks like you've done it quite a few times. Yep. I definitely have quite a few <laughs> belt buckles. Nice. From that race. Yeah. It looks like you've done the marathon. You've done all the races out there too. Yeah, it was, uh, I started off doing the bike race. Okay. Um, and that was about 11 years ago mm. or 12 years ago. And um, anyways, it started off as the bike race. And then from there, wanted to sign up for the bike race again. I asked a friend if he was going to sign up so we could go ahead and train together. And he said that he was going to do all of them. So the whole Leadman series. Lead man. Yeah. And so it was at that point where it was kind of open to my eyes and to, and he said a few choice words to me. And so I decided to sign up with him. And that first year was that I did the lead man was the first year I ever did any running racing, Really entered a 5k. Then I had to do the marathon. Mm -hmm. Um, and then went for the, basically the granddaddy of them all, the hundred and wow. I finished it. It was rough, but yeah, I finished yeah. it. Wow. So you primarily come from uh, like a mountain biking background? Yeah, I wouldn't even say primarily, but I started mountain biking um, two years before I started running. Uh, it was, yeah, so basically that's kind of where it started. I haven't been into the endurance world. I mean, long relative to some other people, just about 13 years is what I've been doing it now. That's a while. And yeah, in 13 years, I've, uh, completed the Leadman series nine times. Okay. Wow. I've won, been the Leadman champion two times out of those. Whoa. Out of that. Wait, you did the Leadman nine times? Yeah. No every kidding. Time I've, yeah. Every time I've completed the Trail 100 run, um, I did it in addition to the whole Leadman series. Oh, dude, that's crazy. And you've been the champion a couple times. Yes, sir. No kidding. So, Okay. So what does that involve? Um, be, uh, being the champion of, of the lead man, are you, you're getting all these races done faster than anyone else? I mean, you're not the winner of the Leadville 100. I don't no. think, are you? Or how no. does it work? Yeah. It's a cumulated time of all the races okay. and whoever has the fastest time. So, um, the Leadville trail marathon, and then, uh, you get to choose as far as the fifties go, whether it's the 50 bike or the 50 run. Um, and they kind of have it weighted based off, based off of the cutoff times. So, um, I think the cutoff time for the bike is nine hours, I believe and the cutoff time for the run. I think maybe it's 12 hours. Actually, I don't know, yeah. but anyways, they kind of do some sort of math there and, um, take the lowest score of the two. So anyways, get back to the start. So I do the marathon. Um, and then the Leadville Trill, uh, and then the Silver Rush 50. Mm -hmm. um, I do the bike one day, and then the next day I do the run. Mm -hmm. So back-to-back -back 50s. And then the Leadville Trill 100 mountain bike, and then the 10K, and then the 100 run. Wow. That's so incredible. all in one summer. Yeah. That's and then whoever has the fastest time out of all those is the one that, you know, gets crowned the champion. Wow. Unreal, man. The lead man is something that's always intrigued me. I've always, you know, it's kind of on the list. It's something that I've always wanted to do, 
but nine times, man, that is legit right there. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, that's like all encompassing for your whole summer. I would imagine that just pretty much takes up everything. Yeah, it pretty much takes up everything. And so I have quite a few races that I try to get in beforehand, um, both mountain biking and running. Okay. And it's all more of training for the mm-hmm. Leadman series. And then I usually try to get in some races after it's all done and uh, thinking that I'm going to be in the best shape, but it usually doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> pretty toasted by the end of the summer. Oh, dude, I can only imagine. So you grew up in Leadville and you said you had a wrestling background too. So Correct. is that kind of how athletics all started for you or, or how did it all start? Yeah, I would say that I was introduced to as far as sports goes through wrestling. I was in a youth program up here. It was called the Two Mile High Wrestling Club. And I think I started that when I was in first grade. Wow. So from first grade all the way till junior high, I was in that peewee wrestling. And um, and then once junior high started, uh, I was, I guess, well, I was the best in the state in wrestling in junior high. And then uh, in high school, I went on to do some, uh, some junior national tournaments. And so I traveled um, a lot in wrestling. And then in high school, I was also a, a state champion for wrestling. And it just took me all the way. And it's kind of what paid for my education. Wow. Um, but to that point, I also did some football. And then my last years in high school, I did run some track. I was uh, on some sprinting relays. Okay. So, but as far as endurance running or any endurance sport, I didn't start it till, well, about 13 years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, how old are you now? If you don't mind me asking. 42. Okay. So 13 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, late twenties, early thirties. That's pretty yep. much about the same as me. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I guess it, it's been a while, but it, in relative to other people, you know, I feel like I started late, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, sort of late in life, but, um, I feel like you have to have almost like an emotional maturity before you're really ready to run a hundred miles. I mean, like right out of high school, there's no chance I could have run a hundred miles. So yeah, um, I, sh- I surely couldn't have. Yeah. You got to have, uh, some life experience and a little emotional maturity before you're able to tackle something like that. Did you wrestle collegiately as well? Yeah. I wrestled collegiately, uh, for, three of the four years in college, uh, they ended up cutting the program my senior year when I was in college. And our team, it was uh, uh, Colorado State University Pueblo. Anyways, we were ranked third in the nation and they cut the program for funding issues. Uh, it was kind of a stab in the heart. That's a, a lot of people. Down. Yeah. A lot of the teammates went off and um, did wrestled elsewhere after that, but I just stayed and got my degree and they still, kept the scholarship. So I don't know. Wow. It was kind of interesting and weird how it all turned out that they just cut the program and mm. literally we were ranked third in the nation that year. Wow. That um, sucks. Yeah. But I, I was an all American wrestler in college. Wow. So. Uh, so I'm really interested in, in, you know, wrestling being your background and that being a foundation for your athletics. I wish I would have wrestled in high school. I never did. But then later in life, like mid twenties, I'd always done a little bit of martial arts up to my mid twenties and mid twenties or so is kind of when I discovered jujitsu. So um, I started doing some jujitsu classes and I did it for quite a few years. 
And the whole time I was just like, God, I wish I would have wrestled. Like that would have been so helpful. Have you ever done anything like that? Like jujitsu, martial arts, anything else like in the combat sports? No. Well, actually I, I, I did. Um, in high school, I took some Taekwondo classes. It's, I don't remember for how long, maybe it was just a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just something to do and I wanted to try something different as well. Yeah. But never went beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wrestling just builds such a foundation, especially if you're that elite, man, you must have been training hard. I'm sure you learned how to work, work out in a big, bad way. You're cutting weight. You're learning a lot about your body. So is that what you would attribute a lot of your athletics to is, is back in the wrestling days? I would say so. And I think it's more towards just the mindset, whether it's the mindset of working hard when you're out there training the mindset of not giving up or, you know, just being in that pain cave and knowing that it's all going to be okay. It's just, it's just temporary. And, um, I've been in that pain cave multiple times and, um, yeah, so I think it's more of a mindset and where the growth happened most Mm -hmm. for, through wrestling. What weight did you wrestle at? Oh, uh, when I was in college, it was 134. And okay. in high school, 134, my later years. And so I would say looking at myself, I definitely don't have what I would consider an endurance body or a runner's body. I mean, I'm, I'd say I'm built to wrestle. That's just my body type. Like uh, short and stocky. Short and stocky. Okay. Yeah. Yep. What do you walk around at normally for, for weight? Uh, about 150 is where I'm at right now. Okay. So sometimes... Later in the summer, I'd go make, make it down to like 145 or so, but I'm 5'3", 150. Okay. So were you generally cutting like 20 pounds? Uh, well, back then I was just a littler guy, I would say, but yeah, I was definitely cutting hard weight when I was in college. Wow. Just sitting in a sauna, spitting in a cup all day or what it looked like <laughs> for you? We used to have a, well, the first two years, um, I would say it wasn't, you could almost do whatever you wanted to cut weight. I mean, we had an exercise bike in the sauna and we'd get on that thing and just ride it like no other. Mm. Um, but then in the later years, they, uh, definitely put in some pretty strict regulations. So if you were going to be doing any of that, it was behind the scenes, Mm. but yeah, it's just the mindset of putting your body through something like that and coming out the other side stronger. What was that mindset like? I mean, did you have a, a good teacher telling you like what to do and how to, how to find this mindset? Or is it just something you kind of honed on your own over the years? Uh, I would say it's probably something more than I just honed on my okay. own. And, okay. um, it's just because I wanted it. Mm. And I think anything that you want, you're just going to put your mind to it and finish it. And, I mean, and it's just what can Marvin do today? Mm. And when I'm out there racing, uh, my fastest times that I've had for the, like the Leadville Trail 100 was 1944. Wow. I took eight that year. And, uh, and I just remember throughout that whole time, I just kept telling myself, what can Marvin do today? And so <laughs> I was just really pushing myself because I was more curious of like, what can I do today? I just, and it felt like it was just the perfect day for me. I mean, I've had some really tough days out there and I've still finished well, but that one year when it was 2015. Um, it was just, it's, everything seemed easy out there. And, and I don't know if it was in the right mindset, if it was the training that I did that year, but there was definitely something magical about that year. Yeah, no doubt. 
what would Marvin do today? Is that like a mantra of yours? Yeah. What can I do today? What can I do today? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can see that being powerful, man. Um, going back to wrestling quick, I, I, before we jump into the endurance sports, like who were some of your, uh, people that you looked up to in the wrestling world? Like, were you into like Dan Gable and all these guys or. Yeah. When I was, I was definitely into them, but I have to say relative com- compared to, I guess some of my other teammates in college, especially who had a lot of their heroes. I just didn't really pay attention to some of those guys. I just, okay. I wasn't really into what anybody else was truly doing. Cool. And it was always fun to watch and and going to the NCAA championships and watching some of those guys. It was, it was impressive to see, but I just wasn't really into following a lot of the Olympic wrestlers or, mm-hmm. um, or anything like that, to be honest. So you was, didn't really have any heroes or anybody you were looking up to? No, not necessarily. I would really say if I looked up to anybody, it was my coach. His name was Jim McCall up here in Leadville. Just, I spent so many years with him, and I think he taught me so many different ways out through wrestling um, and so many different things. Of, I don't know if it's where my mindset came from, if it was my father who kind of got me into it and was always out there pushing me. Um, but I do have to say that I'd attribute a lot of the success I had back then. And even now, I guess with my father and with my coach, Jim McCall. Mm. So what was your dad's like? What was your dad like? What was his influence? Like, it sounds like it was pretty strong. Yeah. The big thing about what he would do is um, no matter what he made it to every single um, wrestling tournament, wrestling match. Um, I just remember him traveling everywhere Mm. uh, to go watch and support me. And even now to this day here, I'm 40, two years old. And I would say that he goes to 95% of my races. No kidding. Yeah. So big. And so, yeah, he just, he loves being out there and he loves supporting um, his kids and whatever we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Was he a wrestler? Yes. (laughs) My phone is a a donkey ringtone. Yes. He was a wrestler. Uh, he wrestled when he was in high school as well. And he took third in state. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think I, that, that probably had a lot to do with me pushing myself and, you know, if, well, if my dad can do it, I surely can do it. Yeah. And so I think that was a big push. And in addition to that, my brother, uh, he's a year older than me. He also wrestled, um, in high school. And, and even to this day, we both do our endurance sports and, and we're out there, you know, training with each other a lot of times and just kind of pushing each other, that kind of sibling rivalry. Yeah. That's so. cool. Who's faster. Uh, I used to be considerably faster, uh, for many years. Um, but now it seems like, I don't want to say the tides chain turned, but he's getting faster on the bike than I am. Mm. But when it comes to running, uh, I usually used to beat him until I guess, more recently than he's starting to come away with it. But uh, last year, for an example, in the lead man, I ended up beating him in the whole lead man series. So last year I was faster than that, but he's definitely getting faster on the bike than I am. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but I guess we, it's like, I would say we alternate is what it kind of comes Back down and to. Forth. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just have one brother? Yeah. I have one brother and one sister. Okay. 
So if you guys were both wrestling growing up, I'm picturing like rambunctious boys, like beating each other up, wrestling at home, all that. Uh, was it like that in your household or was it more structured? Uh, I, guess, I would say there's a lot of structure to it because, I mean, we were both rambunctious. We did some pretty silly things out there. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that we were always out there just, I don't know wrestling and horse playing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's cool, man. Um, so your dad must be proud. If he followed you all the way through wrestling and into your endurance career, that's, that's pretty cool, man. Um, so then you wrestled collegiately. What happened when you get out of college? Um, is that when you found endurance sports right away or what did that look like? Yeah, as soon as I got out of college, when I was coaching in any into any endurance sports at all, it was just. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Am I frozen? Oh, okay. So, Am I there? Yeah, you did freeze, but that's okay. Okay. So, so as soon as I graduated from college, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear now, me? Can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Can you hear me now? <laughs> uh, am I still frozen? No, you're not frozen anymore. Okay. Go for it, man. Whenever you're ready. Now you're frozen. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Trying to switch internets here, but it's not working for me. Dang it. Is this? Is that Leadville Wi-Fi? Okay, sorry folks, I'm switching internets. Okay, I just switched internets, I hope that works. I can hear you fine. Can you okay, I can, yeah, let's go. Perfect. All right. All right, so after I uh, graduated college and I came back to Leadville, I was um, teaching and coaching and wasn't in, into any endurance sports, um, didn't do really anything outside of uh, coach wrestling and teach. Okay. Um, it was quite a few years after that when it was just kind of in a down, down time in my life, I would say. And I was just driving through town and I happened to come across the finish line of the Level Trail 100 mountain bike mm. race. Mm. And although I knew that race was been taken, you know, been going on for many years, it was the first time that I stopped and actually watched it. Mm. So I went to the finish line and was just watching some people come across. And I remember the exact time it was eight hours and 58 minutes on that clock. And I saw an old high school friend come across that finish line. And I don't know, I think it was kind of that moment when I decided, huh, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a mountain bike until that point. And it was the next day when I started doing some research and figuring out what I needed to do. And went to the local bike shop, told them I had $2,000 and I wanted a bike that I could do the Leadville Trouble 100 mountain bike on. And uh, so that year I got my first bike, signed up for the race and and just trained and trained. And I remember uh, my goal was to beat that guy because in high school, I felt like I was a better athlete than him. And yeah, um, yeah I did everything, everything I could. I remember pushing across that finish line and I came across eight, 58. Mm. Oh, no, wait. 
I take that back. I came across 857. He came across 858. So I did I beat him <laughs> by one minute. Wow. <laughs> and so that's kind of where it started. And then from that point on, I started looking at other races. It was, that was my first ever race, whether it be, um, you know, outside of, I guess, high school. And so just jumped right into it. And then the next year I did that race again. And then I ended up working for the Leadville race series. Okay. Um, and that was the first year that I did the whole Leadman series because mm. I signed up for the whole Leadman series. And then I started working for them just part-time thinking that it'd be a summer job. Mm -hmm. um, and then it turned out to be a full-time job, but that's the first year when I com completed the whole Leadman series and the Leadville Trail 100 run. And then I took one year off basically from endurance sports because I was working for the Leadville race series. And that one year went from kind of the whole reason when I, why I started teaching was to have summers off. Now all of a sudden I'm working for um, the Leadville race series and summers aren't off. In fact, they're the busiest time of year. And, mm -hmm. and I just, from there, I, it just went against everything that I, you know, thought I wanted because mm -hmm. I love the summers up here. And so mm -hmm. I, uh, threw in the towel and told him that, you know, it just really wasn't for me, um, as far as for working for them. And so I went back into education and that's when I started just really getting into the true endurance racing. And that's when I really opened and it really opened the doors for the rest of my lead man series and, uh, Leadville trail 100 run. Um, I've done run rabbit run, um, and just a lot of different fifties, you know, all over the place. So, yeah. Yeah. So what was it like after you finished that first lead man, uh, you finished your first 100 mile race and your first lead man at pretty much at the same time. Did that really open up a lot of doors for you? Like, um, I just read a quote earlier today and it's something like, you know, once you run a marathon, um, you have more possibilities, but once you run an ultra marathon, the possibilities become endless. Um, did, did things really open up for you? Like in your mind, did you think, man, I can, I can do whatever I want to do or what was going through your head at that point? I would say at that point, I remember like that, that race was just so incredibly tough for me that first year. Mm. I want to say that I trained, but I truly didn't train very much at all. <laughs> in fact, part of it was, is probably cause I didn't know how to train for it. Okay. Um, but like crossing that finish line, it was a hobble. Like it was definitely very, very painful. Mm. Um, yeah. But when I remember when I crossed that finish line, I think the first thing that went through my mind was I'm never, ever going to do that shit again. <laughs> Just cause like, it was tough. It was, I mean, I don't think I've ever been in that much pain in for so long. And I felt like, I mean, I definitely got injured kind of early top of my foot, some of those tendons just mm. kind of flared up. And so it went from, you know, I'm going to run this to, I'm going to jog this to, oh my God, I just got to keep moving forward and do what I can to cross that finish line. Yep. Um, but even the next day, or I guess it was that morning at the award ceremony, it was still, I, I almost don't want to say that I thought I was going to die, but like just my back was hurt and I was starting to get all these cold sweats. I mean, mm. I just did not seem worth it to me. 
<laughs> and I remember even my kids looked at me like as if I was crazy and I had to get their skateboard. I would kind of roll off the couch onto their skateboard, <laughs> get myself to the bathroom, um, you know, and I mean, I need to help using the restroom. Right. <laughs> I was in some rough shape. I, I was using crutches for two weeks. Whoa. Like, I was in rough shape and it, I, I vowed at that time, you know, yep, just one and done. Um, <laughs> but once I was able to walk again, I do have to say that's where it came in of, huh, you know, I, it wasn't that bad. And, and I accomplished that, you know, the time was 29 hours and 41 minutes. And I was like, man, if I only really put my mind to it and worked a little bit harder, did a few different things, I, I kind of wonder what, what I could do. Yeah. And that's, I remember talking to my wife, Lisa, you know, I told her, I think I'm going to do it again. And uh, she just looked at me like I was crazy. And you see that worry look in her face because she saw me at the finish line. Yeah. She saw me hobbling around for two weeks afterwards. And um, so I guess to answer your question, yes, because <laughs> <laughs> the finish line, it, it does, it changes you. Yeah. Um, and even to this day where, I mean, I'm not saying that the Leadville Trail 100 is easy because it is not easy mm -hmm. by any means but I truly feel that just with the training I have come race day, I know I'm going to finish come race day. I know I'm going to get that big buckle and it kind of um, took away from, I guess the challenge. Cause although it's very challenging out there and my biggest thing is to get the fastest time I possibly can, but I feel like the challenge of accomplishing it compete, you know, completing it, um, it's so very doable for me now. And I think it's just because I've done it nine times and it just feels that way. Mm. Although I know every time I step up to the starting line, anything could happen. And, you know, I may not cross that line. Mm -hmm. That's when I started trying to do some other bigger races where I uh, completed and did like the Tahoe 200 for an example. And, yeah. um, and that was a tougher one than I expected. And just this past summer, um, I went and I signed up for the, um, the Moab 240, which ended up being an epic fail, but okay. I mean, it comes with the territory, man. Yeah. <laughs> what happened at the Moab 240? I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I mean, obviously COVID through the summer kind of threw a lot of wrenches, but you into... did Nolan's this year though too, right? Yes. Okay. So I really want to hear and, about that. I'm a big fan of yeah. Nolan's, but I'm a guess I'm guessing that you did Nolan's and then the Moab 240 was after that. Yeah. So did that have anything to do with it? I think that had a lot to do with it. In okay. fact, um, it was my brother who at the beginning of the summer, once we saw that a lot of these races were getting canceled, that he was like, man, we should, we should do Nolan's. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I've always wanted to do it. And I guess this is the year. Mm -hmm. And so he was out there hiking and training like significantly every day he was climbing 14ers and, mm -hmm. and I felt like I was kind of behind the curve um, to go out there and, you know, attempt this with him. Um, but I, you know, kind of by the end of the summer, we set a date and we're like, okay, um, we'll get it done. And we had it, I think it was, uh, it was the beginning of August is when we first attempted it. Um, but anyway, so, Throughout the summer, we went out there and we didn't really scout it too much as far as the course. 
I just downloaded somebody else's course from Strava, put it on my phone and on a free app. And um, anyways, we attempted it and we went out there and it was just so much more difficult than I think both of us anticipated. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad when people say that because I've been out there, dude, and I have yet to complete it. I've made a few attempts and that's the hardest thing I've attempted. So I'm yeah, <laughs> it was glad to hear you say that. Yeah, the first time, because I attempted it once and then I completed it once this summer. Okay. The first time we went out there and, um, and we were just following, I don't even know the guy's route that we were following. And, and we figured that we could probably, you know, beat his time. And his time was, I think, 54 hours. Okay. And when we got to peak, the seventh peak, we started at Sh Mount Chavano. Okay. So at the seventh peak, uh, I don't even know which one that one is. Mm. Anyways, seventh. Columbia, uh, Harvard. Harvard. Harvard, yeah. So when we were at top of Harvard, um, we knew at that point that if we dropped down, that it'd probably be another, I don't remember what it was, 12 hours till we'd get out. Yeah, probably more. Um, yeah. If That's not, you know, stretch. and so we were at that point and I could just tell that like he must've been feeling sick or something because throughout all our other times when we were out there training, he was out hiking me, out running me. I mean, he was just, he was strong. And then, uh, but that day, like it was super cold out there and I just remember him sweating. And then when it was super hot out, he's over there all bundled up. So like he was just not feeling it. Mm -hmm. And at Mount Harvard, I could tell like just his struggle to that point. And we were already behind our pace by, I don't know, I think four or five hours compared to where we thought we'd be. Mm. And, you know, we looked at each other, each other and I could tell he wanted out, but he's never quit anything. Um, and so we just had a, you know, a conversation up there, kind of a heart to heart conversation and and we decided to bail, even though it was three hours to, till we were able to catch a ride. <laughs> but yeah, so we bailed it then. Um, even though I felt like I could continue, but I definitely hadn't scouted it out enough. And um, just going on the course at night, mm -hmm. following a little line mm -hmm. on my phone, it was it was difficult. Yeah. And we, I mean, we got ourselves not necessarily in trouble, but and some of those boulder fields that we were climbing up and going down, I was like, ah, I wasn't ready to try it all by myself Sure. because I wasn't prepared for it. That's probably smart. So, yeah. We bagged it that day and hiked on out. And my main reason for agreeing to go ahead and do all of this with, with him was because of the Moab 240. I figured, man, this is going to be the perfect training. Mm. Okay. So it was two weeks later when, um, well, I, at first I had to convince my wife that I was going to go ahead and do Nolan's by myself. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't up to it. She wasn't very excited about it. <laughs> she told me if I got a spot tracker that she would let me attempt it. So okay. I went and bought a spot tracker. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then I uh, went and I attempted it by myself again. And instead of having just a free app, I went ahead and paid for the upgrade so I could get a little topography on my map and I could mm -hmm. figure it out and be able to you know, follow it a little bit better. And even at that point, um, I figured that I could probably finish in 51 hours was my goal, even though 60 was the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. uh, just at night, going at night on bushwhacking, trying to follow a line, it was so difficult. During the Brutal. day, I was motoring, but at night, 
I don't know. Yeah. I just find myself not wanting to go off course, double checking my phone to make sure I was on course. And then so many false summits, <laughs> especially at night. And then these little, I don't know, just some of those little fingers and those points that you're like, man, this is kind of sketchy. Yeah. And so um, I just took it super slow and careful at night. I was by myself and, um, you know, and just kept trucking along. But uh, I ended up finishing it on my second attempt and it was right at 56 hours. Nice. And I mean, I took three um, pretty good breaks throughout it uh, right at an hour. So I guess, um, you know, I could have cut that time off. There was some sections out there where I definitely lost probably two hours just in my navigation. Sure. Um, so, I mean, overall, I think if I was to do it again, which I'm thinking I'm going to do it again this coming summer, <laughs> just because I'm like, man, I could do better. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I feel like I could get under 50 hours if I do it again. Now that I have a better lay of the land, I might feel a little bit more confident at night. Um, you know, and if I just follow that same course, I won't have to rely on my map so much. And so I feel like I could probably get maybe, I think I could do a sub 50 on, on that same route. Yeah. Did you go self-supported? No, uh, I had, my dad was, um, helped me out at towards on the first day. Okay. So there was three spots where he met me and then my wife met me in three different spots okay. I guess on the second day. Yep. Okay. So, although I think self-supported on that particular route, um, would not be too much more difficult mm -hmm. just cause there's definitely a lot of water crossings. So you get a lot of fluid and it's just, I mean, you had to take enough gear, you know, to stay warm basically for at night. Mm -hmm. I'm sure if I chose a different time of the year and I think it could almost definitely be faster, even if it was just completely self-supported because mm -hmm. then I wouldn't be there resting and taking my time. Yeah. So. Did you take any naps while you were out there? I did take one 45 minute nap. Okay. I mean, okay. well, it's probably 20 minutes, but I stayed there for about an hour. Mm -hmm. I, I planned on doing a nap earlier, but when I got down to where I had planned on napping, it was still daylight. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to continue to go. And, um, and so my wife met me at the next spot and then that's where I went ahead and took a nap. Okay. And normally I probably wouldn't, but I mean, at that point, I was like, ah, I know I'm not going to get the fastest time out there by any means. Mm -hmm. And a nap sounded really good. <laughs> so do you remember whose track you were following? Uh, no, I'd have to look it up. It was just some track that my brother, some guy that he was reading about. And so I just went and found his Strava yep. and just downloaded it. Okay. Okay. Do you feel like going south to north, did you take a pretty traditional trail or it sounds like you're not even super familiar with uh, <laughs> the ins and outs of the trail if you didn't do tons of scouting? Um, like, did you, did you do anything different than, than other people do? Or do you feel no, like you took a pretty standard, standard route? I think I probably took the standard route because there wasn't anything super sketchy. Okay. Um, where... I know on the Traverse to Missouri, mm -hmm. there's a sketchy route that would probably save you a ton of time. Going up the ridge. Uh, yep. Going on the ridge. And I didn't attempt that. In fact, the way I went, I thought I was going to be able to traverse high and make up some time, but I think it cost me a good 30 minutes because then I kind of had to backtrack and mm. just trying to traverse was taking a long time. Yep. And the same with 
when I did the, what they'll call a traverse, but not really the traverse from Columbia to Harvard. Um, I did that section uh, one time with my brother. And, and so the way we went was different than what was on my map. Okay. And so then I decided, okay, I know which way is going to be faster or I thought. And so at night I was just went um, and then I just put my phone away and I was just tracking up, tracking up. And I was like, man, where is this trail? And I remember thinking that I was the trail should be any moment. And then, and even looking at the ridge line. anyways, I pulled out my phone and man, I was like pretty far off course. And I just have no idea how I got off course. I just thought I was taking the quickest way. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I was, it's amazing, especially at night, how just the smallest little ridge, or at least I felt like it was just completely took me in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so from Columbia to Harvard, were you, were you up higher than you should have been? Actually, I was much lower. Oh, really? So you dropped all the way down into that basin and were a little bit too low. Okay. And then when I, you know, started to turn left to climb back up is where I just didn't go sharp enough left. Mm. And it was night. And I mean, I thought I could see the ridge line. And so I thought I was perfect, but it was just the wrong ridge line that I was aiming at. Uh, And it was such a minor little degree off, but it cost me quite a bit of time. And then that was kind of a frustrating moment. Yeah. You're just losing time out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Like I can only imagine. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm such a fan of Nolan's and I like to geek out on, on all things Nolan's. And I saw when you finished and I wish I would have gotten you uh, to jump on the podcast at that point so that I could have got you when it was a little bit fresher in your mind. Um, what yeah, were the last few peaks like? I mean, the, like, you know, Albert and Massive, they're just huge monoliths. And, you know, by the time you start climbing Albert, you still got like 25 miles to go or so. So it's a huge section. Like, were you staying pretty positive or where was your head at? I think I was staying super positive at that point, just because, I mean, it's just basically two more to go. Uh-huh. Uh, but climbing up Mount Albert, um, I did do that section in the daytime um, with my brother as one of the, you know, because I've never climbed it from the backside. Mm. And, uh, but at night, it was, it was so incredibly different. Mm-hmm. What I mean by, because I was hitting that part, of, you know, night early morning um i mean there's always false summits on every peak but man not albert especially and it's just such a long ways mm-hmm. once you think you know you're above tree line and you just keep traversing and traversing off of one ridge to the next ridge and and doing it at night was just i don't know it was just it definitely played some mind games with me and <laughs> and when i look at my phone and i was trying to figure out man how much further even though I knew it was a long ways because I did do that section in the day. That one did kind of like, I was super positive because I knew after that peak, it was just Mount Massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mount Albert, it was, it was difficult. Yeah. And, uh, and it was the strangest, the thing throughout that whole time, um, I did see some other people. I saw that other people were attempting at the same time I was. So I knew there was other people out there on course. Um, and so I was expecting at some point that I would come across somebody else mm-hmm. or maybe somebody else would catch me. And it was such a clear night. Uh, I mean, the moon wasn't out. So 
like it, that was another difficult thing. It was just so dark and it was hard to see the ridgelines. Mm. But when I would look back, I was like, oh man, there's a headlamp. And I don't know how many times I thought I saw somebody's headlamp and it was just a star at the top of a ridgeline. <laughs> that kept screwing me up because I'd stop and I'd look and I'd try to contemplate, is that somebody or is that not? So yeah, but Mount Albert, um, it was a tough one just because it was later on and it's just, it, it is a long ways yeah. from the time you get to above tree line. And I mean, you feel like that you should be right there, but it's just a long trek. Yeah. Yeah. How'd your brother feel about it? it sounded like he was <laughs> pretty pumped on getting it done, but it didn't happen for him this year. Yeah, it didn't happen for him this year. And I think when I was talking to him, I asked him if he wanted to do the second attempt with me and he wasn't too pumped about it. And for him, he hasn't done a lot of um, 100s. He's done the Leadville 100 and his fastest time was 1840 something. Whoa. Like he, a smoking time. Yeah. Uh, but when I asked him if he wanted to do it again, he just wasn't too pumped about it. <laughs> I think he still was kind of figuring out, you know, what went wrong with him and that, you know, in his first attempt, uh, you know, it was the first time that he actually, he said it was the first, the longest that he's gone without sleep while he's been running. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's where it kind of played a big role with him as well. But in fact, just yesterday, or maybe not yesterday, two days ago, we were talking about it and he's the one he's, he brought it up that he wants to attempt it again this coming summer and he wants to go North to South. Okay. I was going to ask you that. Are, are you going to go South to North or North to South this year? Well, since I already did it one way, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go for it and try it the other way now. Nice. Nice. And I, this time I'm going to definitely do more research. Okay. I'm going to try to scout some of the sketchy sections out mm -hmm. just so I go into it more prepared because during the daytime, it's, it's pretty easy mm -hmm. considering, but at night, Oh my gosh, I just don't want to be in a situation again where we make a wrong turn or we start climbing the ridge too early and, you know, and get into cliffs and we're like, Oh dang, mm -hmm. let's see where we're at. <laughs> Cause yeah. that, that happened on our first attempt where we thought, Oh, here it is. We're just going to climb right up this. And we kind of just cliffed out and we're like, man, mm. we had to turn around and traverse and some gnarly stuff because we didn't know better. Yeah. You can get yourself into some serious trouble out there. If, if, yeah. you know, you, you really have to have it dialed. So, but it sounds like you didn't do tons and tons of scouting, but you still got it done, man. So yeah. that's pretty impressive, man. It's, it's pretty. So like growing up in Leadville, were you out climbing 14ers like as a kid or what was your family into getting out into the mountains or, or not really? I climbed a, well, I, I know I climbed Mount Albert when I, before kindergarten. Okay. Um, I just remember that because I remember going up on the, from the North side and just remember all those false summits. Mm -hmm. And I was probably throwing some, you know, I don't remember, but I just remember being very upset <laughs> going, this is, I, I quit. And my mom's like, no, it's just right there. And I don't know how many times she said that before. And, uh, but anyways, I did make it up that time. Um, and I do remember before kindergarten, like the summer going into kindergarten. Um, but after that, like we climbed Mount Albert every once in a while. I think I climbed Mount Massive once, but we weren't really into like climbing 14ers. Okay. Um, we did have some horses at the time. So we did do a lot of backcountry backpacking or I guess horse packing. Mm -hmm. So we spent a tremendous amount of time out, out there in the woods, you know, and we do some hikes, but not a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it wasn't part of us, but I mean, on horses, we go ride. Uh, my dad was very into hunting. So I think the most hiking I ever did was out there searching for some elk. Mm. Uh, but that was pretty much the extent of, um, I guess, you know, hiking. Yeah. yeah. So w- there wasn't a lot of that. And I think it probably, cause there wasn't a lot of time because of wrestling all the time. And, mm. um, I don't know, getting wood. I remember <laughs> doing that quite a bit as a kid. So <laughs> Uh, um, had you, uh, had you stayed awake for a couple nights? Like, had you done a 200 miler before your Nolan's attempt this last year? I did the Moab or not the Moab, the Tahoe 200. What year? And, uh, 2019. Okay. So, and so okay. I, and, and that race was another one where I went into it with super high goals and everything else believing that I'd be a top 10 finisher. And I mean, I'm like, man, distance is, is my strength. It's cause I'm not super fast in a 5k mm-hmm. or a half marathon, but the longer it gets, um, I just felt like, man, I could totally finish top 10. Mm-hmm. And I started off strong and it just ate me alive. I think once again, going into it, not truly knowing the course and just kind of winging it mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. is not the best way to go about it. Because I think if I was, to have studied the course a little bit more and at least scouted it out better on paper then I would maybe have, I don't know, approached it a little bit differently because mm. it, I mean, it was just so much more climbing than I expected, really? even though I knew what the elevation game was at the time, but mm-hmm. it was, it was a doozy for sure. <laughs> and I know I thought I saw donkeys out there, some, <laughs> you know, I thought I saw a lot of hippos turkeys i mean that was a rough one and i mean i got a little bit of sleep there as well i think i took two 20 minute naps um in our minivan and then i think two trail naps out there i think it was like 10 minutes but as far as lack of sleep yeah there was a lot of it in that race okay so you had your family out there crewing you or or who was yeah okay your family my wife usually always goes to any of those things and um, my kids usually tag along as well. So cool. Yeah. And that was your first 200, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, what was your finishing time? Do you remember? I honestly don't, uh, I don't, I think I was like 22nd someplace maybe. Okay. I mean, I was still pretty happy and excited about all of that. Cause there was a, I think it was at mile 50, my Achilles tendon was super inflamed and, um, and it's just, it was, it was pretty painful. And I remember wanting to quit at mile 50 and my wife was like, no, we didn't come out for the Tahoe 50. <laughs> my kids are better not quit. And I think it was the look in my kid's eyes, both, you know, my son and my daughter and my wife saying that you didn't come out for the Tahoe 50. Mm. So I was like, okay, okay. I'll go to the next one. Yep. And then it, I would say the pain didn't get any better, but I just learned to, you know, live with it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so I just powered through and, and all in all, it probably wasn't as bad as, as I was thinking it was. Okay. Um, so, so I'm looking at doing my first 200 this year. Um, do you have any advice for me? Like I've done, you know, probably double digit 100s, maybe 10 hundreds or something like that. Should I alter my training in any way? Or is there anything I should do uh, training wise or any advice you have for me? Only, I wouldn't say, I would say the same training that you use for a 50 or a hundred is going to be the same training you use for a 200. Okay. Uh, 
the biggest thing is, is, and I have a hard time doing this, whether it's a 50 or 200 or 100 or even a marathon for that matter. Um, you just got to dial it back. And like, I tend to go out too hard, no matter what I do, mm-hmm. just cause I feel good. Yep. And then I get all these hopes. Oh man, I'm going to be a top 10 finisher. I'm going to take third. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then people just start passing me. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> so I would just say truly dial it back. And just like anything else where, uh, just make sure you continue to stay up on your calories. And I think in a 200 race, it's significantly easier to stay on your calories just because you're not working so hard. So it's a lot easier to eat. It's a lot easier to drink. Mm. Um, and then, but don't hang out in the aid stations. I think that's the biggest key that I came across for the Tahoe race was, I don't know how much time I lost it. I I forgot, but I did kind of calculate it up, but you could lose so much time in those races because it's just, it's so easy to be, stay at an aid station, Mm -hmm. you know, take care of your feet and eat. And then just keep moving. I think it's my biggest, and keep moving. Yep. You know, run when you can hike if you must, you know, but no matter what, you're always moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, are you planning on doing more 200s in the future? Yeah, since the Tahoe 200, oh, like I was, so I was doing Nolan's to train for it. I thought that'd be good, but I do think that Nolan's was my Achilles heel for the Tahoe 200. Mm. And part of that was, is Nolan's just not have not with, I don't know, 85, 90% of the route being kind of bushwhacking and, you know, not on any trail. Mm-hmm. It just really tore up my feet. Mm. Like the bottom of my feet hurt, you know, incredibly bad. My left uh, foot, I got plantar fasciitis from it, which still mm. kind of bothers me now. Mm. Um, and I just wasn't able to recover well enough to continue my training. Mm-hmm. Um, cause once I finished that, I was, wouldn't say I was laid up, but it just really, it really set me back. Cause I try to go out for a short run. I just did not feel very well. Just really, it, it really took a toll on, on my body. And so it set back my training for the Tahoe 200. Yeah. And then when the Tahoe 200 came, I was like, okay, I, you know, I know I'm a little bit further behind the curve than I want it to be, but I still felt very confident in doing it. Um, but there was a pretty long section, 20 some miles of no water. And, and it was just the heat of the day and, um, in the canyons. And I don't know, some people said it was, you know, 110 degrees there. I don't know how hot it was, but incredibly hot and kept incredibly dry. And I just ran out of water way too early. And so I think being dehydrated and then my plantar fasciitis was just hurting incredibly bad. Um, it was like at mile 40 where I was like, geez, I just wasn't sure if I'd be able to go any further. I knew I had 200 miles more to go. Um, but I just try to drink, try to get rehydrated. And anyways, is that mile 70 where I just talked to my wife and I was like, I just mentally the heat and the dehydration took a toll on me. Mm -hmm. Uh, physically, I don't know if I'd have been able to finish just because I was injured going into it. So I think, both of those things combined just kind of, I don't know, put me to a stop and made me realize that I wasn't invincible anymore. Yeah. I'm getting too old. <laughs> um, sorry, man. You said this was Tahoe or this was Moab? Moab. 
Oh, I'm sorry. The Moab. The Moab. I'm looking at I'm looking at a Tahoe poster right in front of me. Okay. That's okay. why I said Tahoe. <laughs> no, that's yeah, right. the Moab one. Okay. Just I think it was just so hot and dry and a 20 mile section of just no fluid out there. I I just wasn't prepared for it. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah, I ended up throwing in the towel at like I think it was mile 70. Mm, okay. Yep. And uh I was talking to my kids and I asked them if I should sign up for it again. And they said, yes. So I'm going to sign up for it again. <laughs> I'm not going to let that race beat me. Yeah, that's good, man. That's, that's the best way to look at it. You got to come back and get that monkey off your back. Yeah. Um, are you going to continue to, to do lead mans? I mean, yeah, since I live here in Leadville. Yeah. It's uh, in your backyard. It's, just, it's my backyard and I've just been doing it for so long. I think, I mean, I really want to get that, you know, big 100 mile buckle so i got one more year um till i get 10 10 year the, the 10 year buckle nice um and at that point i was thinking maybe i'll throw in the towel and do something different but i i think i'll just continue to do it yeah until i can't do it wow i mean i'm still competitive in it so why yeah, not for sure yeah yeah um how do you think things have changed from like your first lead man where you barely just like you crossed the finish line in under 30 hours, but it sounds like it was really, really rough to becoming, you know, a contender. Like how did things change? Did your training change in there or was it a mental switch or what changed for you in there? Because it sounds like you knocked a lot of time off your lead bill 100. Yeah. For my first year being, it was 30, uh, or 29 hours and 40 minutes. And then the very next year I did it in 23 hours, Whoa. maybe it was, yeah, 23 hours, or something. So a lot of it, I have to say it was definitely a mindset change because going into it, it's just going into the unknown, being scared, mm -hmm. not knowing what to expect mm -hmm. and having the goal of just finishing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're just going to finish, but going into it, you know, a little more educated, and going into it with some bigger goals, of uh, getting that big buckle, um, you know, that's, I think, the big part of it. So a different mindset going into it. I wasn't scared of it. Um, I knew I trained significantly better, uh, kind of had more structure to it instead of just going out and running. Um, I don't know. I just believed in myself. And so when I was out there, it was just easier. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just mentally and physically better prepared all around. Yeah. Um, did you train differently? Significantly differently. Okay. How so? And I think the biggest part was I went from, I'll just go for a run here and there to creating a structured plan that I was just going to follow. Okay. And so it went from not really knowing to making a point of knowing and doing it correctly. Hmm. So what does your structured training plan looks like, look like? Do you have uh, speed work, tempo days mixed in with slow mountain climbing days or, or how does it look for you? Uh, it's definitely a combination of everything. And um, I kind of do it differently as far as like now in the winter time, or I guess it's becoming winter up here. I don't do a lot of um, running mainly because it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. um, but the other big part is I just change it. I do right. Like right now I'm doing a lot of high intensity, short mountain biking. Um, a lot of it's on a trainer, but also a lot of it's snow biking. 
Okay. So I kind of just trained for some snow bike races um, and also prepare myself for some early mountain bike races that we have here. Um, but come January is when I start running again. And it's just, I ease myself into it. Um, and then in the spring, early spring, I start doing a lot of speed work and really get that strength. And then, you know, so a lot of high tempo uh, work in. And then just the closer I get to the race or more later into the summer, then I really increase some of that endurance running. Mm-hmm. So I kind of stagger it and stack it on top of each other. Okay. Are you increasing mileage by, mileage by quite a bit too? Are you running big mileage during the week? Uh, the closer I, in the summertime I do. Yeah. I would say on the weekdays, um, it's an hour and a half, two hours most if I'm doing an endurance run, Mm -hmm. but on the weekends, it's usually just three hours, sometimes two, three hour back to back. Okay. But since I'm doing also a lot of mountain biking, that's where I have a significantly more amount of time, I would say, because it doesn't beat up my body as much. Yeah. So I definitely spend more time on the bike than I do running. Mm, okay. I mean, maybe not significant, but it's more time on the bike for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot longer to get those bike rides in. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned that you did the run rabbit run and, uh, we talked about, um, Tahoe, um, any other big races that you've done in the past? I took a look, I took a brief look at your ultra sign up, and it looks, I mean, you've got a lot of races on there, but it looks like a whole mess from her in Leadville. Yeah, I would say um, as far as 100s go, it was the Tahoe race. I mean, not the Tahoe, sorry, Run Rabbit Run. Um, I've done some 50s. I did the, oh, I don't remember, one of the vacation races, 50s. So not a lot of running races outside of Leadville, to be honest. Some in Utah, but I do a lot more mountain biking, I would say you know, across the board than anything else. Yeah. Do you have any like dream races that are on your bucket list that you would like to do one day? Or do you just like, do you like just staying local and, and doing the, the backyard races? No, I definitely want to do Western States. I've been putting in mm. for it. This last year was my sixth, maybe seventh year okay. putting in. Mm-hmm. And I just, every year I just cannot believe that I haven't gotten in because <laughs> my little bracket of, you know, of tickets compared to everybody else. It just, I don't know, but anyways, I've put in for, I think six or seven years for Western States. Um, so that's definitely a race I want to do. And when I first started putting in for it, it was when I felt like I was in my prime when here I am doing, you know, getting a top 10 in Leadville, I'm like, Oh, I could totally get, you know, do well in that race. And, um, just cause I feel like it's more suited towards me okay. as far as just that, you know, starting up high and having kind of a negative elevation gain. I, I feel like one of my strengths is running downhill, Mm. Um, even though it's not necessarily downhill, but I just felt like that race would suit me pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my family really wants me to do the Hurt 100 in Hawaii. So I'm going to start putting in for that race as soon as that opens up again. Cool. Um, But no, I'm definitely more interested in opening up the horizon and seeing what else is out there. Mm -hmm. I've just done these local races just because they're here. Yeah. And so that's one of the biggest reasons, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Um, so what are you looking at for next year? Nolan's North to South, Moab 240, another yep. lead man. Another lead man. Dang. Uh, 
I have to defend that title because I, I won it this last year. So oh, got to defend that title. <laughs> and then the other thing that I picked up here in the last two years is uh, burrow racing. So pack burrow racing. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, we have some donkeys and they're in my, our backyard. And, okay. um, and that's just, I think, another, just another avenue of getting out there and running yeah. that I happen to, it's, it's, man, it's a lot of fun. Tell me about those races. Like I've seen pictures. I kind of vaguely know what it's all about, but I don't, don't really know the details. So uh, basically the rules are, uh, is you can't ride your donkey. Um, and I think that's pretty much the biggest rule, but there are races in uh, anywhere from 10 to 30 miles. Okay. Um, depending on which one it is. And basically you have a donkey, it has a pack saddle on it. And you're kind of recreating um, back in the day when a miner would strike gold up in the mountains and they'd have to pack their burrow with all their mining equipment and run back into town to basically patent their mining claim. Um, and so the races that are up here, there's a race in fair play, which is the world championship race. There's a race in Buena Vista in Leadville and then just other parts throughout Colorado. Um, but it's in burrow racing, you could have the strongest runner out there, but if your donkey chooses not to run, then you're just not going to run. Mm. But if you get a donkey that really likes to run and you have a strong runner, then you could just, I don't know, win. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say for myself, uh, I have a miniature uh, donkey and her and I last year, uh, we went out and I think we kind of shocked the burrow racing world we won the whole triple crown races. So I was the triple crown winner, Whoa. Um, which was the first time that any miniature donkey has ever, ever done that. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I was a complete newcomer. It was kind of a shock to myself. And I just ended up having a donkey that liked to run. And, uh -huh. and I just, I don't know, we kind of dominated last year. Wow. And then you, again, Oh, go ahead. Do you train these donkeys to run very, or? <sighs> yes, very much so. Okay. Okay. Because the first time when I ran with Buttercup is her name, hmm. um, it was the first time racing with her and we took third at our first race. And I could just tell that on this downhill descent, a lot of the other people were just outrunning us and she was the limiting factor. And I was like, man, I just need to work on getting her in shape. <laughs> so we ran a lot that, that summer. And um, anyway, she was in great shape and we didn't lose a race since. Wow. That's <laughs> crazy. So, yeah, just like a human, mm. you get that burrow in shape, and and if they like to run, and you got a good connection, yeah, he's gonna win a lot of races. So wow, wow. So you got a full year next year. Yep, another full year. And uh, my brother and I, we signed up for twenty four hours of Old Pueblo, oh. which is you know twenty four hour race in Arizona. Uh -huh. uh, also signed up for, I think it's six hours of Papago. Okay. So that's another six hour mountain bike race here early in the summer. And then we always also do together as a team, uh, 12 hours of Mesa Verde oh. for that team effort on a mountain bike. And, uh, we've taken second, I think like three years and we have not hit that top spot yet. And I think this year is going to be our year to do that. Wow. So. Wow. I mean, what, what do your winters look like? It sounds like you're really competitive. Um, so I, I'm guessing that you know, if you're that competitive of a person, you're not really letting your foot off the gas too much over the winter time. 
or are you resting a little bit? Like what, what does it look like? I'd say it's just, it's different. And the reason why I would say it's different is because they also, there are some snow bike races here. Mm -hmm. So the fat tire bike races. Um, and so there's about a month and, you know, last year it was after Tahoe when I took about a month off, just took it easy this year. Um, it was after Moab where I kind of just took it easy for a while, but come November, beginning of November, I just start hitting it hard again. And mm -hmm. like I said, I focus a lot on the bike than anything else. I teach a spin class up here twice a week. Mm. So I do the spin class, which is a hell of a good workout. Yeah. Um, they also have a hockey league up here. So I play hockey, which is also a heck of a good workout. Um, and then just ride the fat bike. And so I really prepare, I guess, for my summer does start like in November. Okay. And I do, I hit the gas hard. Um, and once again, it's my brother and I who are out there competing for that top spot uh, in those snow bike races. Mm. So that's my main goal right now is just to do well in those races and I guess better him or tie him or I just want one of us to win. Yeah. I don't care really which one, but <laughs> <laughs> last wow. year i beat him more on the snow bike so okay. well this year it might be him wow you said he's a year older than you yeah a year older okay you guys are just out there killing it man yeah wow um i'm curious man you've been doing this stuff for 13 years like like what's your why like what's your reason for con continuing to show up to these races and, and just doing it over and over for over 13 years I don't know. I guess that's such a hard question. Cause I know when people ask me, why do you sign up for a hundred or why do you want to do the 200? And I think if somebody has to ask the question of why, mm -hmm. then I, no matter what I say, I don't think it would even make sense to them. Yeah, I get that. So, so but as far as I think the biggest thing is cause I do like the challenge mm -hmm. incredible you know, I like pushing myself to that point just to see how I can do. Mm -hmm. I like pushing myself to, yeah, just to see how I can do. And it's that challenge. And that's one of the reasons, like I said, why, I, why I signed up for the Tahoe 200, because I wanted that bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. I signed up for the Moab 240 because I wanted that bigger challenge. Because if I just do like the Leadville 100, I truly feel like I'm going to finish, but at what's going to be my time. Mm -hmm. So I want to challenge myself and check out and see some other horizons. And, and I think the biggest thing is, is cause I still can, mm -hmm. I've had some big knee surgeries and there's been points where I felt like, oh man, I won't be able to do this anymore. But since I still can is why I still do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I get man. that. I totally get yeah. it. Um, are your kids uh, a big influence too? Like, do you feel like they're watching you and you're trying to, um, you know, influence them in one way or another? I definitely feel like they're watching me. And it's one of the reasons why when I set out to accomplish something, I refuse to quit because I think that's a mentality that I try to teach them and putting in that effort. And if you really work towards something, you can accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel like they're watching always on that and even when i'm here at the house just on my trainer just pushing myself i know that they can hear me so they mm -hmm. know that i'm pushing hard because i'm really striving to be my best at that particular thing and so it's definitely something that i want for them to take away 
-hmm. it's something hard that's really to tell them how to do it. But I feel like showing them at least how I do it um, and pushing myself to those limits, they'll get something out of it someday. Totally. It might not be today. It might not be, you know, when they're in high school, but I know someday they'll go, man, I remember my dad used to work so hard mm -hmm. to accomplish some of those things. And if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. So I think that's one of my big pushes as well for doing what I do. Yeah. Cause they're always watching. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's really cool, man. Yeah. I remember watching my dad, he was a, a cyclist and I remember like handing off water bottles to him in races and watching him ride his trainer. And, uh, yeah, as a kid, I didn't really think too much of it, but then when I grew up and sort of started dabbling in this stuff, you know, I thought, man, yeah, he was a badass, you know? And I just look back at that and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a big influence and a big kind of a game changer for me, just watching him do his thing. So yeah, they'll, they'll see it someday. Yeah. And like, even for the Moab race, when I decided to quit, I do have to say my daughter wasn't there. She was at the race, but she was in the camper. I do have to say if she was there at that aid station and she would have probably, and she would have asked me or told me not to quit, I probably wouldn't have. Even though I was at that point, that mental break where I was like, I really don't think I could do it because I have a hundred and uh, 60 miles to go, you know, I, but hearing that come from her, just like in the Tahoe race, she told me that, you know, don't quit. Um, I probably would have at least tried to go to the next aid station. I have to say, mm. so I thank her for not being there, but I wish she was <laughs> right. Cause maybe I could have say, you know, I was a Moab 240 finisher, but she wasn't there to push me. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there'll be next year and there'll be other yes. years. There'll be yeah. other years. God, you can't finish them all. I mean, I think that's your only DNF, right? It is my only DNF. And I think that's yeah. where that's impressive. I was out there. I was like, man. And that was like one of the hardest things too, because I know I've been in worse pain and I know I've dug deeper to finish other races. Mm but some of those other races were 20, you know, or 50 miles away, mm -hmm. not 170 more to go. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, 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 it was, it was a kick in the teeth for me for sure. <laughs> it's but, a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Man. So this summer, definitely as far as the big races, uh, for sure. Lead man again, um, going to go for the Moab 240. Um, those are going to be, I guess my big ones. And I'm going to attempt Nolan's from North to South. Mm. I'm going to finish Nolan's from North to South. Nice. And I'm going to finish the Moab race. Hell yeah. That's what my, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, is mindset something that, that you work on? Is that something you train? Um, I mean, it sounds like you're already visualizing finish lines next year and, I feel like that's huge. I mean, just sitting down and, and being able to visualize that, you know, nine months, a year ahead of time, I feel like that's such an advantage. Is that something you work on or, or is that something that comes to you naturally from your wrestling days? I wouldn't say that I put focus on it mm -hmm. or necessarily work on it, but I do know when I'm out there training and it's getting difficult, whether I'm on the trainer or which is incredibly boring sometimes. But if I'm doing an interval, I picture myself, you know, climbing a steep section of some course. Um, so I, that helps me push me along that way. 
but it's definitely at the starting line of any race. There's, I do not picture myself not finishing. Mm. Throughout the race, I'm out there contemplating whether I should finish or not. And I have to fight those <laughs> demons, mm-hmm. no matter what race it is. But when I wake up in the morning, I picture myself finishing. Yeah. So, what can I wouldn't say, yeah. What's Marvin (laughs) going to do today? Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I I think, and my wife thinks I'm kind of a freak sometimes, but I guess what I told her at for Thanksgiving dinner, she goes, What are you thankful for? I told her, I guess I'm thankful that my ancestors were more hunters and gatherers than farmers. all about genetics you totally yeah totally i mean you have to work incredibly hard for it but yeah. you know yeah <laughs> um i mean i'm i'm i want to wrap this up eventually but i'm still just thinking about nolan's man um so when you started nolan's from blank's cabin did you did you know you were going to finish that day that second attempt yeah there was no doubt in my mind i no doubt damn i mean how do you have like, no doubt? That's crazy. I just, I just, it seemed completely doable for me because when I look at the Leadville 100, so that's a mm-hmm. hundred miles, mm-hmm. 30 hours, mm-hmm. I could do it in, you know, 20. Yep. And I'm like, this is mainly hiking. Uh, I just felt like there was no doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to finish. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to finish a lot sooner. Um, I didn't realize how treacherous and how difficult it was, but I have to say that when I started, I don't know, that was, I, there was just no doubt. Wow. Um, I did not at any point in time during that, uh, attempt did I fig- even contemplate not finishing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was cause I was focused and, and it had a lot to do probably the fact that the first time, um, we didn't finish and I wouldn't say it wasn't on my terms, but I was like, dang, I, I really wanted to finish that first attempt, but I realized, you know, he probably wasn't going to be able to, like he wasn't in the right mindset. Um, and so when it was on my terms, I just, yeah, there was no doubt. Wow. Did you and, have good weather the whole time? Yeah, the weather was, and I thought that was amazing. Okay. Uh, it wasn't really cold on any of the peaks. I didn't get any uh, moisture at all. Mm. It was the day after I finished those when we got our first big snowstorm up here. And it was the strangest thing because I finished the race or finished Nolan's attempt. Uh, and then it was the next day, the smoke rolled in here. So super thick from all the fires. And I was like, man, if I was up there, my asthma would have kicked in and who knows, they would have probably been a limiting factor. And then two days after I finished, like we got, I think six inches of snow here in Leadville up in the mountains. I don't know how much they got on top of the peaks, but quite a bit. So there was that small window where it just worked out perfectly. You nailed it. Did you have that date pre-planned ahead of time or were you waiting for good weather? And it's like, okay, today's the day. I didn't have that particular date. It was, um, I looked at the weather and I was like, man, there's a, there's four days this weekend that looks good. And then, then it shows snow. So this is my, my last attempt. Okay. And so I just went for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive, man. Um, what are you going to do differently this year? If you go North to South, definitely going to scout it out quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that some of the routes going from North to South, 
I, I would think would change. Yeah, a little bit different. And I only say they'd be different because some of those sections would just be so much more difficult if mm -hmm. going the other direction. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to put more time into it, studying it, and a little bit more time into it being like out there on course for sections that I just want to make sure I see, especially the sections that I'm going to end up being there um, during the nighttime. Because mm -hmm. that's one thing I really gained from the first and second time when I went through is at nighttime, I'm just so much slower. Mm. Um, and it's more because I don't feel super confident in the direction I'm going. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it's definitely, you know, tricky footing, like every single step. Um, but it's, I just want to be confident in the route that I'm going, that I'm not going to be going off course and losing time. Yeah. And so definitely going to spend more time out there. Will you go out to those sections that you're going to be at at night and scout those at nighttime beforehand? No, I'll just do them during the day. Okay. Just so, yeah. And I don't think I'll go scout at night at any point in time, although that does seem like a great idea, but I think learning the terrain during the day and trying to figure out every, I don't know, landmark that there could be just so when I'm climbing up or trying to figure out, you know, which skyline I'm going to be going for, um, I think would be pretty beneficial mm -hmm. instead of seeing the first time at night. Cause that was, it was difficult. Yeah. Like, oh, I know. Navigating at night, bushwhacking with no moon. It was, I was like, God dang, it is dark. Yeah. You're just constantly going like, am I going the right way? Yeah. And just wasting very far ahead of you. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's just like, and I always talk about this with my buddy, John Denise, who finished Nolan's this year. It was over the allotted 60 hour time, but we always talk about, you know, you're looking up and there's a big pile of rocks to your left, a big pile of rocks to your right. It's like, okay, so I need to go over one of these. Which one do I go over? Like you could go over yeah. one and get cliffed out. You're just unsure, especially at night. There's just so much that you, you just don't know. And I, I know, and going up, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't even know where it was, but it was night yeah. just trying to follow that GPS. And I'm like one, at one point I'm just going up and I'm like, I'm totally on course. I'm going, going, going. I'm like, okay, now I'm a little bit to the left. So I kind of go to the right. Oh, well, now I'm more to the right. And even just when you're next to those cliffs and on such a steep grade, like the GPS just doesn't like, it's not exact. And so mm -hmm. I remember going up one section, it was so incredibly steep I and mean, the rocks weren't loose, but that was just so incredibly steep going up at night. I'm going, man, I, if I fall or slip, I'm going to like, or tumble, mm. I'm going to go down a long ways. It wasn't a cliff, but it was just so incredibly steep and using my trekking pools with all my might to try to just push and pull and make sure I didn't slip. And I was like, I couldn't believe how steep the course was and where I was at and what I was doing at night. And I know if my wife would know, where I was and what I was doing, she'd freak out. Totally. <laughs> I was like, it just, it did not seem safe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some sections out there that were definitely rough and definitely sketchy. I know. Yeah. And there's, there's so many points on the route. You're like, is this the right way? Like, yeah. there's no way this is part of the course. Like there's no way, like this is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. And, and then when you think about it, like literally it's the fastest way you know, that isn't, then it kind of makes sense, but yeah, I just cannot get over how steep some of those sections were. No doubt. That, 
and even just trying to stay on course with my phone, trying to look at it. I'm like, okay, I'm going up this. I see cliffs on both sides. I hope this works out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So slippery. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And like, if I would have seen those during the day, maybe I'd have been able to just power through and not worry about, is this the right way? Right. And cause I know I lost so much time at night, just guessing myself and like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And getting to the top and you're like, whoo, here. Okay. Had a quick oh, snack. Yeah. Thank God. Picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ate it. Oh. Yeah. Do you have anybody that you look up to in the endurance world? Like you said that when you were wrestling, you weren't really into, you know, following the big rest, the, the big wrestlers or anything like that. Do you have people that you look to for inspiration or are you just kind of like, almost like looking inside for your, like you're your own hero type of thing? No, I would say, um, I think some, I definitely, I look up to Dave Mackey. I think his story yeah. Yeah. and what he's done is incredible, especially for his setbacks that he's had. No kidding. And what I really like about him was the, so in 2014, it was the year before, anyways, he completed in the lead man okay. and he took second and I took third that year. Uh-huh. And it was just like, I was competing with him directly and so I don't know, I got to know him pretty well, Cool. not on a, you know, a com- complete friend on friend basis, but just know who he was. And, and then hearing of his tragic accident and what he's overcome. And then he comes back and he competes in the lead man again, I think is tremendous. And I think just having that drive is, you know, and not quitting. Cause and just like anybody else, you get some sort of setback and you could just throw in the towel and just say, poor me, mm-hmm. you know, but he goes out there and he shows himself and proves to himself what he can do. And he don't, I don't think he did it for anybody else but himself. And I just think that, that that alone is pretty inspirational. And so I look at those kind of stories and people that overcome, you know, some of, you know, the biggest obstacles in what they've done. Um, even David Clark, he was another one mm-hmm. that, you know, overcame some huge obstacles you know, in his earlier years in his life and, and what he made of himself before, you know, how his life tragically ended as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I look at those people and those are the ones that, you know, I really, I think look up to and inspire me to try to see what I can do, you know, and how I can compete with myself as well. Because when you look at, you know, some of the elite runners, although they're amazing and I'll never be to that standard. Um, I don't think they're anything to look up to, even though they work really hard, but they're just a different breed. Mm-hmm. And I like to follow them and see how well they do and, you know, against other people, but I wouldn't call them my heroes. Sure. Like, yeah. So I, I look more at the stories and what people have overcome and how they've turned their life around. That's more inspirational to me than the people who win Western States or, any of those other big races. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of looking at it because you're right. Uh, even those elite runners, they're just, they're just another human being. But when you're looking at those people who have overcome such huge obstacles, I mean, that's real inspiration right there. So yeah, that's well put, man. Yeah. Like I, I look at, I guess the weekend warriors, I consider myself a weekend warrior. Uh, and 
the average Joes that go out there and you can see just the big gaps and improvements they made. Now that's what I like to see. So people with full-time jobs and three, four kids and, you know, getting up running at two and three o'clock in the morning, because that's the only time they have to do it. Like, yes, that's, that's the inspiring stuff right there. Yep. Cause we've all been there. Well, maybe not all of us, but we've been there and having to work around different schedules to make it work. And, you know, kids and, Uh and the things that they come with. And I don't know, it's, it's pretty amazing. And like, I, I'm an endurance coach and some of my athletes that have kids and, and when they put on, you know, what are your goals and it's to balance family and business and my new, you know, passion of running. Like I like seeing and trying to help them and see, you know, what they could do, Mm. what excites me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you get to a certain point and, uh, you're just ready to pass some knowledge on and, and inspire other people. And, uh, um, you know, because, you know, it's been said before, but a lot of this endurance stuff is, is sort of a selfish endeavor. You know, you're taking so much time away from your family and you're spending so much time on this and eventually you get to a point where you want to be able to give back a little bit too. So, um, yeah, it makes sense, man. <laughs> All good stuff. Uh, Marvin, you're a badass, dude. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you next year and, and cheering for you. And uh, hopefully we can talk again after you do some more badass shit next year. Sounds good. I'll, uh, I'll definitely try to hook up with you sooner than later. So it's more fresh in my mind. Absolutely. Stay in touch, man. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Marvin. Appreciate you, man. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. All right. You bet. That is it for today. Is Marvin a stud or what? Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you guys had some time to get outside, to get after it, to take care of yourselves. Uh, I was thankful that, you know, my body is healthy enough to get outside and do some running. I ran the Cheyenne Mountain 50K virtual race. Um, and, uh, you know, I did my best to take care of myself. So I hope you guys did too. If you guys need anything to help you do big things, give me a shout at big-things-crewing.com. If you need a crew or pacers for your ultra or supported adventure, we can help. If you need a coach, training plan, vitamins, supplements, we got your back. Big Things Crewing is here for you and we want to help. Life is short. Do big things, baby.